Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome wherever you are in our great United States of America, our great country, or around the world, because we do get an international group here. We talk about issues of interest all the way around the world. But this is Judge Jim Gray, where, as you know, you found us on the Voice America Variety Channel, and I'm always just excited to be with you and present another really interesting guest. And I tell you, we're going to really fit that bill today with our friend Joe Jorgensen, who is a candidate presently for the Libertarian Party nomination for president. And we're going to be uh, doing that really soon on the end of a Memorial Day weekend in Austin, Texas. So it's just in a few weeks and we're going to, to get in there. So I'm going to ask Joe for her various views on, on issues today. As you know, here at All Rise, we discuss libertarian issues, libertarian approaches, which really our founders were utilizing and we're getting away from. But uh, we're going to do that. So Joe Jorgensen, Welcome to All Rise, and just give us a little bit about your background. Uh, who is Joe Jorgensen, and how did you become a pre- candidate for the nomination as president for the Libertarian Party? Welcome. Well, thanks so much for having me, Judge Gray. I teach in uh, Clemson. I'm a psychology senior lecturer, and I first became involved in the Libertarian Party in the late 70s, and I, I was one of those people. I didn't have to be sold on the uh, party. I didn't have to be instructed. As soon as I heard it, I said, wow, that's me. I didn't realize anybody else agreed with me. So I was so happy to join the movement. And that was in 1979. I've been a libertarian ever since then. Also, I was Harry Brown's 1996 VP running mate. I just can't say enough good stuff about Harry Brown. <laughs> Well, no, I can't either. He is just a guiding light, and uh, and you've been a true, devout libertarian uh, with having all the credentials ever since. You you have me beat, Joe. I was a lifelong Republican until the passage of the so-called Patriot Act uh, in 2001-2002, and I could no longer be a part of any group that would condone, much less assist, actively assist this direct frontal attack on our civil liberties. And it literally, I, I still remember the process. It took me about 13 seconds to decide, hey, Jim, you really are a libertarian. That's, <laughs> yes. that's where we are, and, and yes. I will be for life. But, but you had me beat. Uh, I'm a lot older than you, and uh, you still saw the light a lot before I did. But I want you also well, uh, to... Yeah, but, 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 but let me say, part of that was I was just introduced to it. I somehow happened to be listening to a radio show in Dallas, heard Honey Lanham on the radio, uh, and, and I, I've often thought, what if I wasn't listening to the radio right then? Because I didn't listen to the radio that often. It could have been another 10, 15 years until I heard of the party, because back then we didn't have the Internet, and there really wasn't a way to reach out to people. So now I think most people have heard of it, so it's a little different now. Well, yes, okay, but uh, don't don't be too bashful. and Just just say uh, <laughs> say thank you when I when I thank you because uh, it just you. really is. It's, it's just important. 
And yes, you are thank traveling. You for the <laughs> it's it was funny when we just uh, got on the air because we're taping this, but we got on the air and you're traveling around the country, of course, because you're running for president, the presidential yes. nomination for the Libertarian Party. And I asked you, well, where are you, Joe? And she said, well, I don't know, which reminded <laughs> me when I was running for vice president in 2012 with Governor Gary Johnson, people would ask me, what's the hardest part of campaigning? And I'd look at them and say, you know, remembering what your hotel room number is because it keeps changing. That's what flashed yes. in my mind and you said you don't, don't know where you are and then I asked you I said well you know happy May Day Joe Jorgensen and she said well it happens to be my birthday so I threatened to and now I'm going to carry it out to, to give you a treat because I wrote a musical it's called Americans All and in fact the theme song for Americans All is what uh, we use as our theme song here on All Rise but I also okay. have a new birthday song so you're going to be one of the few people in the world that have ever been serenaded in your birthday by the following peace be on your special day joy to you in every way all together now we say happy happy birthday peace to you joy to you happy happy birthday peace to you joy to you happy happy birthday so now you are one of the select few that have been able to be serenaded by peace be on your special day from americans all happy birthday joe jorgensen well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> so you are a libertarian. You've been here. You've seen things come up and down. You you did run with Harry Brown, who's just a guiding light. And he wrote a book. Uh, I'm having trouble remembering the name of it right immediately, but I've read it, uh, just giving his insights. What was the name of his book, Joe? Well, the campaign book he wrote when I was with him is called Why Government Doesn't Work. And it's a great practical book on explaining how government tends to hurt those that intend to help, and how basically people would be better off without government. One of the things he said was, government will break your leg and then expect you to be grateful when it hands you a pair of crutches. <laughs> However, Harry Brown is better known for how I found freedom in an unfree world, and that was out long before the campaign. That's, that's yes. how most libertarians heard of Harry Brown. Yes, that that's the one I said. and and that's right. Uh, he did say that, and it's just it, it just really is amazing. And of course, I I quote this a lot here on All Rise with uh, Milton Friedman, who's certainly one of my heroes. Oh, that we yes. should judge our programs by the results, not their good intentions. And yes, the but the the government really addresses problem areas differently than the private sector. And and this has been called to my attention a few times here on All Rise, but one is that, oh, if you're a government bureaucrat, you're more successful if this year you were at servicing so-called uh, 10,000 people, where in last year you were only servicing 6,000 people. So, oh, you're doing such a much better job. But in the private sector, it's the opposite. You know, last year there was 10,000 people that were having this problem. We've worked to address the problem. Now there are only 6,000 people having this problem. So it's just it's just a totally different thing. Libertarians understand that, and the big government just, just does not. But but let me ask yes. you. Yes. Well, do you mind if I interrupt ahead. for just a minute and just Please. mention that Milton Friedman is my hero. I love his book, Free to Choose, and the TV series. And I actually met Milton Friedman uh, in 1980, so that was a, a real pleasure. And what was great about Milton Friedman is he explained in such plain English, very persuasively, how government doesn't work. True. And his free to choose is just a Bible from my standpoint. But yep. I'm going to 
I'm going to brag to you a little bit then because I wrote a book on uh, the drug policy. It's called Why Our Drug Laws Have Failed and What We Can Do About It, A Judicial Indictment of the War on Drugs. And it was published in 2001, and Milton Friedman endorsed it, which uh, just just oh, makes wow. me elated. I was very <laughs> pleased with that. As well as, That's- by the way, uh, George Schultz, Ronald Reagan's administration, Walter Cronkite, uh, Arianna Huffington, uh, Governor Gary Johnson, who was then the governor of New Mexico. So I was really, really pleased with that. And the second was... When I ran for Congress, uh, actually, Milton Friedman gave me a maximum campaign donation of $1,000 back then. I almost decided not to cash it because it was so valuable, <laughs> but uh, I did. But I took a, a Xerox copy of it first. And so I, he's, con- he's actually been a contributor in my election campaign. He's just a marvelous well, man, just, just all the way yeah, well, around. You have, you have, yeah, you have such a reason to be honored. That, that really speaks highly of you that you've got Milton Friedman support. And I might add, You've got Ariana Huffington. You have true bipartisan support. Sometimes we hear about this phony bipartisan support. It sounds like you have true bipartisan support. Well, I figured if I could get Walter Cronkite, Ariana Huffington, uh, <laughs> yes. Milton Friedman, and George Schultz to agree on anything, I was getting someplace. But <laughs> yes. you know, so you've been a libertarian longer than I, and. and I believe that libertarian values, libertarian approaches uh, will be the salvation for our country, that it's it's exactly yep. what the founders felt. And yep. By the way, again, I don't say founding fathers because there were founding women, founding mothers as well, but, but uh, we are in the mainstream of American political thought today yep. as opposed to any other party. But why, Joe Jorgensen, candidate for president, why, in your opinion, has the libertarian approach to government really not caught on yet? Not, not, we haven't been electing lots of people. We do some, and it's very helpful. But, but why has our approach not caught on as of yet, 2020, Joe Jorgensen? Well, I'd like to reach into my history and quote Ed Clark, who was our 1980 presidential nominee, and somebody asked him, do you think you could actually win? And his reply was, you know, if I could sit at the kitchen table of every family in America and explain to them what libertarianism is, I would win in a landslide. But the problem is people a lot of times are just not interested in politics and they don't go beyond slogans. And uh, just like the founding Mothers and fathers said, as soon as people realize they can vote themselves money, then we're headed for trouble. And that's what we've got now. So we've got Bernie Sanders. Oh, free health care. We've got Elizabeth Warren. Oh, free tuition. And if you're 20 years old and you're racking up debt, um, that sounds really good to you, especially if nobody has explained to you, oh, guess why you've racked up that debt? It's because the federal government, through their loan policies, have increased tuition. They increased the supply side so much that now uh, tuition has just skyrocketed. So uh, a lot of times people just don't go beyond that first step, and they don't look at what's behind, you know, the the true cause and effect. Well, Joe, you you certainly convinced me, but I I can tell you my total view is with regard to this so-called bank crisis back in, what, 2008, 2009, it was caused by government. It was caused by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, where they were in effect guaranteeing home loans for people that had no business getting home loans but as long as there's a government guarantee the banks will will issue them because you know they have no risk and so if one bank was going to be prudent anyway and not do that pretty soon their their 
uh, their shareholders would say, well, look, wait a minute. The the Gray Bank is giving these loans out. They're government guaranteed. I think the Jorgensen Bank should give them out too. And it would be sucked into that because of government guarantees. But if the government guarantee wasn't there, then the banks would have been responsible for the losses and they wouldn't have issued the loans and we would not have had that housing crisis. And then you took the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, who took numbers, thousands, tens of thousands of these so-called toxic loans, turned them into a security and gave them a AAA rating. And you may not be aware of this, but the government of Iceland almost went bankrupt because they counted on us. Mm -hmm. They trusted us. They relied on us. And they bought those securities, which was just an outrage. But it was caused by government. And and it's happening pretty much everywhere else where government is intruded into the marketplace. I assume that you agree with all of that. Yeah, and I'd like to say that's an excellent observation because basically the uh, housing crisis is very similar to the student loan crisis in that you've got government throwing money at people. And, hey, if you've got money being thrown at you, why wouldn't you take it? And also bringing up the banking industry, that also reminds me of one of the classics when we talk about why do we have government. So many people look back at the Great Depression. And they say, well, if it hadn't been government to help us out of the Great Depression, you know, we'd all still be living under a bridge. But they don't realize it was the Federal Reserve and the banking policies that put us there to begin with, that there was a private market uh, uh, way to do it already in place where government, I'm, I'm sorry, not governments, but where banks would voluntarily help each other out. And then the Federal Reserve comes in. And they had much more power than they thought, and then you know the rest is history. Well, yes, and then after this bank crisis, the government went in and bailed out some banks, maybe their cronies, right. but not others. You know, and, and right. libertarians wouldn't have bailed out any banks, wouldn't have bailed out the General Motors. Uh, you know, after all of these things, that government should just not be involved in deciding what kind of car you're going to make or buy. Uh, Just, you know, we can have rules, of course, and antitrust should be one in many ways, and child welfare, child working laws should be others. But otherwise, just get the government away. And I think the difference between the libertarian... Go ahead. Well, and I'll save save the debate on those two for another day, but let me point out, we hear socialists talking about how General Motors is too big, all these companies are too big. What they don't realize is often companies become that big because of the government, because of crony capitalism, not a true free market. And so once again, the socialists look to the same big government to solve their problems, who created them. Indeed so. Well, why, again, you know, we, we can change these things. We can't sit down at everyone's kitchen table, and, and I wish we could, and right. I, I certainly agree with Mr. Clark that, that we could have, but uh, what, are, what are you doing now? Uh, tell us your normal day in running for the presidential nomination of the Libertarian Party, and what issues are you highlighting, Joe Jorgensen? Well, I'm a little different in you know than maybe some of the candidates because I still do have my full-time job right now. I teach at Clemson. However, uh, my department chair and the scheduler were wonderful, and they're working with me, so I only teach Tuesday, Thursday classes, mm. and they agreed, which, which normally I would be doing that anyway, most likely, but they guaranteed it so I could continue to work Tuesday, Thursday. But as far as the issues, um, what I think we need to do, and again, how my campaign is different, 
is in the past, libertarians tended to talk about what they were excited about. And sometimes that's not always what voters are excited about. For instance, we talk about the Federal Reserve. We talk about the gold standard. And that excites most libertarians. The average person out there doesn't understand that. And they really don't care about it. They just want to be able to, you know, send their kids to college. They want to be able to take a vacation, buy a new car, maybe buy a new boat. So they're really not interested in all the underlying things. So I think we need to talk about what excites voters as opposed to what excites libertarians. So unlike mo- many libertarians, I've got the environment at the top of my list as one of my top three because so many young people are concerned about the environment. And once again, we've got government causing most of the problems and people are running to government for the solution. And I'd also like to point out that I think we need to attract more young people to our uh, campaign, you know, to our movement. And the current generation, uh, who Gene Twangy calls the iGen generation, they are naturally libertarian in so many ways. So I do have the environment as the top three. I've also got health care because it is literally a life and death situation. And also we've got people with big, you know, on the big government side who want to socialize medicine or Medicare for all or whatever it is. And then last, I'd like to bring the troops home. I'd like to turn America into one giant Switzerland, armed and neutral. Well, let's let's take those in order, because these are okay. obviously things that are on people's minds, the voters. So you are now sitting at a kitchen table with about 12 uh-huh. young people. Uh, it's a big family. Mm-hmm. And t- let's talk mm-hmm. about the environment. What is Joe Jorgensen okay. slash libertarian approach with regard to the environment today? Because people are all talking about global warming and ain't it awful. And it's true that uh, the world is getting warmer in some places. Just ask your thermometer. But uh, how? Right. what do you discuss now that you're sitting at our kitchen table, Joe? Well, I'd like to first point out that wherever you have less government, wherever you have more freedom, you've got less pollution. Just look around the world, look at a map of the types of government, and then look at where the pollution is. And when we have technologies, where people who can, you know, where people can innovate and earn a profit from it, they come up with new solutions, and that's what we need. And secondly, I say we need to look into nuclear power. And a lot of people become a little worried about that, and they look at nuclear power from 40 years ago, and they say, yeah, but isn't that dangerous, and aren't there problems? But I'd like to point out two things. First of all, the nuclear power from 40 years ago What happened was there were a few different methods out there, and government came in and chose the winner, that one system, and it wasn't the best system. It was not a good system. And the analogy I give to young people is, imagine we've got computer companies out there. We've got IBM, and then we've got Apple, then we've got Bill Gates coming along with Microsoft. We've got all these different computer systems. And imagine the government comes in and picks the winner and says, okay, Steve Jobs, you're gone. We're going with Bill Gates. And now we've got one computer to choose from. That's not the best way to do anything. What we need is we need to have, as we do in computers, people competing for the safest, uh, highest quality, for the best cost system out there, no matter what it is, whether it's food, clothing, or computers. And that's what we need with nuclear energy. And right now there are companies such as Rolls-Royce, who are out there developing 
newer technology, they call it advanced nuclear power. There's also some other terms that are about a tenth the size, much safer. So instead of the government and their special interests backing one winner, how about we have those people compete for our business and present something that we want, not what the government politicians want because they want to make their friends rich? Well, hear ye, hear ye, because free choice, if people have choice, they have competition, they will choose less pollution. And the flaming example of that is my wife and I were in China, it was probably 10 years ago, and oh my goodness, they have almost no clean air in the entire country, no clean water, because they have no choice. You know, it's the government that's mandating this, that, and the other thing, and they're the most polluted place ever. But if you get into places where you have choice and competition, you know, people in business, they live here, too. And and they're aware if, in fact, you are spewing out these pollutants. Uh, they're not going to buy your product. So I, I fully agree with you with regard to that. You've certainly convinced yeah, me. You know, I think I'm going to vote libertarian. Yeah, and, and all you have to do is look at a government-run park compared to, oh, let's say, Disney World, where somebody has, uh, you know, the incentive to keep it clean. And a lot of times, you know, if you talk about the environment broadly, and you talk about not just pollution, but if you talk about rainforest or maybe keeping endangered species alive, look at tragedy of the commons. And this is one of my favorite numbers, which is that um, in Russia, when, when the Soviet Union took over, of course, they said, nobody gets to own any private land. You all have to work together at, in, in these communal farms. And what happened? People started starving because they didn't have any self-interest motivation to work any harder. So finally, the government had no choice but to say, we'll tell you what, uh, we'll let you own, you know, your own gardens in your backyard. You you can each have your own private plot if you want. Uh, And it turns out that within not very long at all, that amount of land was 3% of the Soviet Union's farmland, and yet it produced 30% of the Soviet Union's food because you had people who had a self-interest. And so the same, for instance, for endangered species, you've got lions and tigers and elephants, uh, people going after their tusks. What people don't tell you, and this goes back to your original question, you know, why do people not vote libertarian? Because they've never heard the underlying story of how we got there. So people hear, you know, oh, yeah, this is horrible that people are shooting lions for their tusks. What they're not told is these are government lands where nobody has an incentive to take care of these species. And the example I give is you never have a farmer in the United States who goes out back and decides, well, I'm just going to shoot all my cows. I've got a really good haul today. No, he's going to breed his cows, and he's going to make sure in the long run that there are plenty of cows. You don't have that incentive when it's government land. Nobody has the incentive to take care of it. Indeed. In fact, you don't have to go to the Soviet Union. You may remember in your history lessons all that the Mayflower, when they came over to the New World, they actually put in a socialistic system. You know, in effect, uh, it'll be communal. So you work hard, but I have more of a need. And they almost starved to death. Many of them did. Then they put in a free enterprise system like you're talking about, Joe, and they thrived. And you can also go back to Cuba, which uh, was 
socialistic, communistic, but they carried it off until the fall of the Soviet Union because the Soviet Union was subsidizing them. But with the fall of the Soviet Union, they lost that subsidy. Uh, pretty now, I was I was there a little bit thereafter, and they had to by by necessity go to the free enterprise system because otherwise they just weren't manufacturing anything. So it's it's just clear. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't mind my throwing in another topic, it's hard for libertarians not to do that. So, of course, you know, we need to have free trade. We need to lift all embargoes. What happens in countries like Cuba is we have an embargo, and then what the communist uh, government does in Cuba is they say, see those evil, rich, capitalistic Americans? It's because of them that we're doing so poorly. So then we get blamed. And so yes. if we would just stay home and not have, you know, not play politics with these other countries, then maybe they would have to defend them. Uh, and it, it'd be a lot harder to defend themselves if they can't blame the U.S. And right now, unfortunately, the way our government acts, we give other countries reason to blame us. Joe, you're, you're absolutely right that we, our government, kept Fidel Castro in power for, for decades because everything that would go wrong in his country, he'd simply blame yep. the Yankees, blame us. When I was exactly. in was in Havana, we saw a cruise ship from Brazil come into Havana Harbor. You know, it's the United States government, really, that's the only one that's continuing to to keep this embargo and the rest on, on Cuba, and it's just kept them in power. We should normalize relationships with, with Cuba, from my standpoint. Normalize relationships with pretty much all people, because really, it's, it's the people that we need to worry about, and not necessarily the government. Um, and as long as we're talking about you know, the people, as you say, if you look at Saudi Arabia, uh, we had the government telling us, oh, Saudi Arabia is our friend. Well, yeah, the royal family is friends with our royal family, the president, but the people of Saudi Arabia don't like us. And so if we could trade peacefully and uh, interact peacefully with these countries as individuals, as opposed to oppressive governments, we'd be much better off. Well, I agree. So, Joe, you're you're wonderful, and I certainly am pleased to be able to talk to you about this and, and sit at your feet, in effect, and, and listen to your explanations. That's what we as libertarians do. You know, we will listen to other people. In fact, I've said this before, and I think it's really kind of interesting. The word silent and the word listen have exactly the same letters in it. It's a kind, oh, of, kind of a lost art. <laughs> but, uh, but we'll come yeah. back after this short break where you may hear that we are, we are in effect, uh, one of our sponsors is the Libertarian Party of the United States of America. And we'll hear that jingle in a moment, and it's true. We'll come back and after these, and with the, uh, more of a discussion with this really intelligent, wonderful lady, Joe Jorgensen. So stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today 
to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. This is Judge Jim Gray on All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray with a really, again, interesting, wonderful guest, Joe Jorgensen, J-O-R-G-E-N-S-E-N, by the way, who is a candidate now for Libertarian presidency nomination, and that's coming up pretty soon here in Austin, Texas at our at our convention. So certainly good luck to you, Joe. You've got some pretty good candidates, but uh, I, I think what you're talking about makes a whole bunch of sense. Before we get back, though, Thank to you. this, uh, I will ask you, because my wife has asked me to bring in a little levity into my All Rise shows, and this is usually where I do it. So, Joe, I'll ask you a question which I know has been on your mind, and you can certainly use this on the campaign trail. Uh, what is the difference between a raven and a crow? Uh, again, I know this is critical importance, but uh, most people I... realize... Well, listen, we'll, we'll find out because a raven is somewhat larger than a crow. And contrary to most people's understanding, it has five pinion feathers in its tail. And a crow is just a little bit smaller. It only has four pinion feathers in its tail. So the difference between a raven and a crow is a matter of opinion. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you used that, but give attribution to Judge no, Gray, of course, when, when you use that. But, but coming back, uh, you were talking about your three main issues, which I fully agree with. Uh, environment, you know, it, it's just really common sense that the true polluting companies in the world today are the ones that do not have free choice. Uh, and the United States does. We, we in California don't, don't contribute that much to our uh, pollution because uh, we have choice and the customers choose to buy elsewhere. But uh, China, of course, is the opposite of that. They have so many coal-burning plants and terrible pollution there. But then you were saying health care. Uh, I view health care, if we're interested in having our health care controlled by the equivalent of the Department of Motor Vehicles, that's exactly where we're going. And, and I can lead into this as well, Joe, that uh, if I have I, I have a knee problem, and Nicole, I have Medicare, I have Anthem Blue Cross insurance, pretty good insurance. So if I were to go to a medical doctor and say, Doc, I've got a knee problem, and she would say, well, Jim, do you want an MRI? What would be my response? Well, let's see. Uh, I have co-pays and the rest probably cost me $20. Why not? Because I want to get the best. But if I was spending my own money and somebody, a doctor were to say, Jim, you want an MRI? I'd say, well, I don't know, doctor. What's it going to show me and what's it going to cost? But if you ask that question today, cost is not even a factor. It, it, you probably, most doctors wouldn't even know how much the MRI would cost. So guess what happens to the cost of the MRI or anything else? They rise. And, and I assume that I've convinced you of that. But what is your approach to healthcare from a libertarian standpoint, Joe Jorgensen? 
Oh, yes. And by the way, before we get into this, um, you spelled my name uh, at the beginning of this uh, segment. Would you mind if I gave my website out? Oh, please do. I would ask you later, but do it now. Okay. It's joj2020.com. So thank you for that. So, sir, when I talk about health care, the first thing I always say is people never spend other people's money as carefully as they spend their own. So that is the whole basis of the problem. And the thing that worries me is right now we have a lot of people saying, well, the free market doesn't work, as we can see, so we need to go somewhere else. But what people don't realize, again, is that we have not had a free market since at least World War II uh, when we had the wage and price control back then, and so people, you know, the, the companies basically took over healthcare. So what we need to do is move to a free market system. Um, and the one that I look at is the one in Singapore, and also the state of Indiana has uh, one that's similar, in which it's basically a health savings account, because then when people spend their own money, they do care how much they spend. And to just give you one statistic, in the state of Indiana, people who are on the regular insurance, the one that you mentioned when you don't know the price and you don't care to ask, they would only buy um, 10% of their drugs as generic. After the new system came in and they were spending their own money, 90% of the drugs that they bought, the prescription drugs, were generic. And here's the best part. They were happier with this system because they got to keep the savings. They preferred this system. So wouldn't it be great if if you get a better price that you get to keep it because that's how... That's how life works. If you go out and buy clothes, you go out and buy food, if you get something on sale, you get to keep the savings. Unfortunately, we don't have that in healthcare. And real quick, um, I, I'd like to add that if you look at the two free market systems that we do have in healthcare, it would be LASIK surgery and cosmetic surgery because people do spend their own money. And if you look there, prices have been going down, quality has been going up. And doctors have to earn uh, earn your business. You're you're absolutely right. And in fact, they'll they'll provide you payment plans. You know, come and and come to Doctor yeah. Gray. I'll give you LASIK surgery, and and it's just it's excellent because, like you say, it's competitive. By the way, tell you how important I view the whole healthcare system to be and medical savings accounts. The second show that we had on All Rise, it was broadcast uh-huh. back May third of two thousand nineteen, was with Doctor Clark Smith, and we were talking about medical savings accounts. That was that high yep. on my list, the very second show we had. And it's just accurate. Yes. And then and, you can and, incorporate, oh. like like with Milton Friedman, he would give you vouchers that if you can't afford to take care of your own health care, say you make no money, you could get a voucher which you could then use on the free market to purchase medical insurance, to make your co-pays and stuff. But that way it still remains competitive. I assume that you'd go along with the vouchers as well, Joe? Well, I... I I don't know about vouchers versus actually putting the money into people's accounts, but we certainly can't have the system that we have now. And to give you an analogy, uh, food stamps. Yes, there were people, and, 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 and you know, let me back up and say, of course the free market can handle this better than government. Of course I want the government out of it completely. However, we don't have a teleporter to freedom. 
we can't overnight snap our fingers and get there. We, we have to do this in a way that Americans see that it can be accomplished. Um, and by the way, my degree is in industrial organizational psychology, and I understand that people, in, in order to have them uh, change their behavior, in order to have them, for instance, support us, they have to understand and see how their goals can be followed through. And if you just say liberty, that's not going to work. So, and if you just say, well, there will be somebody there to help the poor people, that's not going to help. But to back up to your question about vouchers, yeah, um, with, you know, when, when people couldn't afford food, the government didn't say, oh, well, some people can't afford their food. So tell you what, let's have the government run all of the grocery stores in the country and everybody gets food from the grocery stores. No, they say we have the uh, private market, and the few people who can't afford their food uh, will give them means to do it, and we get the power of the free market to keep the price of food down. Truly, truly. In fact, I'll give you a very small snippet of my experience with regard to food stamps. That When I was at USC Law School, there was a colleague, friend of mine, who was a, a, a classmate there as well, and we went to the 29th Street Market, and he was on food stamps that he'd used to be working, then he stopped his job and went to school, but somehow he convinced the government that he should get food stamps. So when we went to this market, he used his food stamps to buy some caviar. I mean, you know, you couldn't use it to buy alcohol, <laughs> at least they caught up with that, but, you know, it's just, I mean, it's just, it, all of these systems just get abused. The people figure out a way yeah, around the systems, and they just just simply oh, flat do. out don't work, but people feel good about themselves for having instituted them. And I can also lead back to Milton Friedman, again, my hero, who made one comment. Yep. He said, there are three ways of spending money. There are three ways of spending money. The first one is you spend your own money on yourself. And if you do yep. that, you'll get good deals on, on reasonable amounts of goods and services that you need. The second way is that you spend, I spend your money on me. And that way, I will get pretty good deals on things that I don't need. And the third way right. is I spend your money on others, and what, what you get there is the school district. And I thought that uh, yep. his explanation was just, just really perfect, that you don't get value. Uh, the, the, it's a political decision, not an economic decision. So the more you have people spending their own money on themselves, they will get value. The prices will come down to get your, your competition. So you, uh, I think you've certainly converted me on this, and I, I certainly agree oh, with you. Yeah. And if I, if I could add one other thing, too. I was in a third-party debate, and there were a couple of socialists on the panel. This was in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. And one of the socialists said, right now we just have doctors who are just worried about profits. You know, that's all they're concerned about is profits. We need to end that. And my reply was, look at LASIK surgery and cosmetic surgery. Darn right the uh, doctors are interested in profits, and that's the way it should be, because I want them competing for my business. I want them to have the lowest price, the highest quality, and they have to show me how they deserve my money, how they deserve the profit. The government uh, without a, without profit, you don't have information, and that's what the Soviet Union figured out much too late. Exactly. Hear ye, hear ye. I mean, that's simply, I wish that we could have more kitchen table discussions because uh, yes. <laughs> this is what we would, would discuss. And young people have a vested interest in being libertarian because the biggest 
security threat to the United States of America is our deficit. And, uh, you know, people like me, I, I'm, it's not going to be visited upon me. I'm, I'm doing pretty well otherwise, but it's going to be our children and our grandchildren. And libertarians are the only ones that are spreading the word about this deficit as being the danger that it is. The Republicans and Democrats are just going on spending. So let's let's talk about, you mentioned the troops, because I would, as a libertarian, I was in the military, I'm pretty security conscious, I would have a really strong military, but before we send our troops into dangerous areas, we would have to have a declaration of war. Uh, this was brilliant by the founders. They had this expressly in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, which has been abandoned by Congress. They passed these War Powers Authorizations Act, the, the uh, yep. all these different things, abandoning their say so to a president who then just sends things, sends our troops all over the world. So. If we were to have a declaration of war, Joe, we would then actually have this debated publicly. Hey, who are the enemy? What What is the threat to our country? Uh, what, are, what are our goals? What would be an end game so that we would know when we'd accomplished our goals and could bring our people home? And uh, this is not happening today to our detriment as well as the world's detriment. What is your thought? What do you talk about on the campaign trail with regard to wars and the troops, Joe Jorgensen? Yeah, well, I'd like to point out Absolutely. Everything you said is correct. And I'd like to add one more thing. By having us in other parts of the world, we become less safe and not more safe. And that's the irony here is the military is supposed to keep us safe. But instead, we're going everywhere else in the world and we're creating problems. We're having people who don't like us. And so we need to bring our troops home. And some people mistake that with pacifism. And that's not what I'm suggesting. So I said, I would like to become one giant Switzerland, armed but neutral. Of course, we need to protect our borders. We don't, however, need to be in anybody else's business. And you've probably mentioned this on your show before. Um, a, lot, you know, a lot of people make this point. But imagine if you know, we were having problems in our country or even looking back at the Civil War. You know, what if France or what if Japan came over and got in the middle of our war and picked the winner and the loser? We wouldn't like it very much. So we often, you know, people don't really have empathy sometimes for what the other people in other countries are going through. And we bring our culture and we're and our power and our force in there and they don't want it. Indeed. In fact, it was Ron Paul that said, and I, I'll take this statistic as he gave it, that the United States of America has something in the order of 600 different military reservations in other countries around the world. And let's conduct an audit. I mean, if we need them for our security, fine, reinforce them from my standpoint. But we could probably right. eliminate 400 of those without half trying and be safer, just like you say. And the example I use, Joe, which is, you know, I love New Zealand. I think it's a wonderful country. Yep. I love New Zealanders. What if they had a naval air station 10 miles away from my house? Well, pretty soon, you know, the noise, the, 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 they'd get, sometimes their troops would get maybe drunk and have fights on the streets or whatever. Pretty soon I wouldn't start liking New Zealanders quite so much. And that's pretty much right. the situation that the United States is in as well. That If we need it for our security, terrific. But we could withdraw 400 of those, in my view, uh, and be safer and certainly spend oh. a lot more of our money at home. Yeah, in, in, in the blink of an eye without even thinking. And and to uh, quote Milton Friedman on one other thing, didn't he suggest that if you go through all of the government employees and simply randomly fired one-third of them, government would probably work better? 
So, <laughs> well, um, the, yes. uh, the, uh, with, with the with the bases around the world, there are some that you wouldn't even have to think quite. You know, it, it wouldn't take uh, a very involved committee to figure out which one emanated uh, first. So you could find 400 without even thinking very hard at all. And truly so. And that's certainly something that we would have done had the Johnson Gray administration been in, put into a play in uh, 2012. But another, I think, biggest issue that you, that libertarians like you and, and I should focus on is upon educational choice, uh, ed choice. And we talk about this quite mm -hmm. a bit on All Rise, uh, but uh, we have so many schools around the country that are failing our children, usually people in the lower economic areas because uh, they don't have the power to, to really stand up or take their children to private schools or elsewhere. And that's frequently, I regret to say, still people of color, blacks, Hispanics, etc. Yeah. Uh, so it's a huge issue. And today, if your schools are failing some children, they can they will never live up to their potential, and it'll just keep them down. But but what is school choice, Joe? And from your standpoint, and is this one of your big issues as well? And if not, I recommend that it become such. Well, if I'm given the opportunity to discuss it from a theoretical, a philosophical standpoint, absolutely. And again, the example I use uh, are food stamps. We don't have government running all of the uh, grocery stores so just because a few people can't afford it. So why don't we do that for education? So absolutely. But I would like to point out that as president, I, you know, uh, educate, well, let me put it this way. Education should be taken care of by parents and students and teachers, people at the local level. So I, as president, shouldn't have any say in how people run their schools. And one of my things would be to, of course, eliminate the Department of Education. However, as, a, as an education or a teaching tool, of course, yes, I love to talk about education. When uh, Betsy DeVos was appointed to head yes. the Department of Education, I actually wrote her a letter and volunteered to come and work with her. Uh, the problem was, I'm sure she never herself found out that, that you know, I have some credentials and I could help with that. And I think she needs some help getting the word out. But this was all done by her underlings and they all looked me up and thought, oh, I would eliminate the Department of Education. Boy, that <laughs> certainly didn't assist my application. Never heard a thing from them. But you know, yeah. and just like you say, Joe, I, I mentioned before that it, the Constitution is just a brilliant document and it does Yep. leave expressly any of these powers, authorities not delegated to the federal government by the Constitution is what is reserved for the states and the people. And that's the Ninth Amendment and the Tenth Amendment, and it's being totally ignored. And one of the things, yeah. you can look in vain to find anything in the Constitution that empowers the federal government to be involved in health care whatsoever. It just isn't there. And the same thing yeah. in education. It just isn't there. And our country was in so much better shape from an educational standpoint before Jimmy Carter actually instituted the Department of Education. In the 50s, when I was growing up, the, our educational system was the best in the world. And then it started getting worse when we had the federal government starting to intrude. And now, you know, we have teach for the test. We have no child left behind. All this bureaucracy. Let's get back from that. 
who is in a better position to decide where and how, Joe, your children should be educated? You as the parent or the government? And that's an easy question to answer. And you get back into competition. This is something I think huge that you're sitting at your kitchen table. People would understand. But it's the government that keeps intruding uh, and the teachers unions and the power in there. So we have just a little bit of time left. You're still sitting at our kitchen table talking now okay. not only to children but their parents. Uh, what? Why should I vote for you for President of the United States, Joe? You've got about five minutes to, ex- to explain us and convert us. Well, I'm already converted, but others. Well, first of all, what I, what, the question I like to ask people is, imagine you just won the lottery or you inherited some money, you've got $80,000, and you want to put it to good use. You want to give it to people who are in need. You want to make sure that it goes as far as it can. Would you uh, give it to a charity, maybe one of your favorite, favorite charities? Would you maybe start up a new charity, uh, like Bill Gates with his education or Oprah Winfrey? Uh, or maybe give your money to Bill Gates, because maybe he could use that well um, in education. Or would you give it to a federal government agency? And usually people laugh. It's like, are you kidding me? Why would I give money to the government? And so then I would ask people, well, wouldn't it be better if we could better spend our own money? Why, why give it to the government? And if you don't vote libertarian, that's what you're doing, is you're giving your money to these people to decide how to spend it for you. That in order to, to put the money to best use, we need to keep control of it. And the only way you are ever going to be able to maintain control is by voting libertarian. And some people will say, well, you know, you have zero chance of being president. You have zero chance of getting elected. And my reply is, well, you have zero chance of taxes and spending going down if you vote for Democrats and Republicans. In fact, Donald Trump said he would have the budget balance by when? I, did he say three years, seven years, whatever number he gave? It's gone up by even more than it had gone up previously. So, sure, if you think that government is too small, if you want to give more money to the government, then yes, vote for Donald Trump and vote for the two older parties. But then you're just going to get more of what you've been getting. Hear ye, hear ye. The thrust of all rise, Joe, as I, I know that you are aware, is to employ libertarian values. And we focus mm-hmm. a great deal upon the difference between what government would do with our money and the power as opposed to the private sector. And, and one example I'll use, and we can go back to that wonderful organization called Heifer International, which donates in in areas where they are, they are destitute, they will donate mm-hmm. a flock of chickens or some goats or a couple of pigs or whatever and teach animal husbandry at the ground level. And then people can use these. They will actually help them with banking as well. And they can start feeding themselves with the goat's milk or mating the goats and selling goats to others. And then, you know, it, it starts on the ground and it becomes uh, self, self-perpetuating. If you get yep. government involved, that's the private sector. That, that's the private sector and it works. If you get government involved, they will give tons of money to the governments of those 
places, which basically directly results in their agents driving Mercedes automobiles and having Swiss bank accounts. I mean, it's just a no-brainer that you'd give people yeah. like the foundation. Bill Gates has done wonderful work, and so have many others. So, uh, here on All Rise, we've just been listening to numbers of these people, where you have the Institute for Humane Studies that is just upholding our rights. You have all kinds of people in the private sector that are doing wonderful things. So I think the way you express it, why would I give money to the government instead of a private foundation is, is absolutely, absolutely perfect. So in a couple of minutes we just have remaining, and I wish you well. I thank you for your devotion. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your kitchen table discussions and otherwise. And I don't know which uh, hotel room you're in right now either. It's, it's hard to remember, but, but uh, <laughs> any final thoughts? Uh, I assume that you're optimistic about our country. If so, why are you? And if not, why not? Oh, I am optimistic. I'd like to point out my grandparents are immigrants, and they came over here because they didn't like uh, the old country where you could work and not get to keep any extra money that you made. They wanted to have the freedom to build a better life. And I think that most Americans still have that work ethic where they want a better future, where they want their kids to have a better future, and they're willing to work for it. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to give my website again, which is joj2020.com. www.joj2020.com. It's not DOJ, by the way, folks. JOJ, good for you. <laughs> That's good. I, I actually hadn't thought of that. Yeah, oh. Well, okay. I think I'm going to entitle this edition with Joe Jorgensen, the Libertarian candidate for nomination for president. I'm going to call it Libertarian Kitchen Table Discussions. Does that seem to resonate with you, Joe? Oh, I would love that. I uh, think and, it's and, good and too. Again, Ed Clark is my hero, the first Libertarian candidate I voted for for president. So um, I would like his legacy carried on. Indeed, indeed. Well, you're doing it admirably. We really appreciate all that you're doing, all that you will continue to do. And what a what a interesting situation you have, teaching at Clemson University, a degree in psychology, but you're also in business. You understand the free market. Uh, bless you. And and uh, I'd love to be a student. I, we've all been your student for the past hour, Joe Jorgensen. And uh, just may it, may it continue because you are articulate, obviously caring lady, and uh, we just all wish you well. Thank you for what you're doing. Well, thank you. And the Libertarian Party does have the most compassionate solutions. We just need to explain to people how they work. Indeed so. You know, we are we are known and we've made a major mistake as a Libertarian Party. We've allowed other people to label us. And it comes yep. across as like Ian Rand used the term, greed is good. Well, in her way of writing novels, that was fine. But what she really was saying is if you act in your own economic self-interest, you will you will profit and so will everyone else from your labors. That That's that's what she meant by there. But uh, we're getting there. We are the only mainstream party, in my view, in American politics today. And if more people were to sit around the kitchen table talking with Joe Jorgensen and, and those like her, and there are, and there are numbers of them, uh, we would be so far better off. I'm proud to to be a libertarian. I'm proud of who we are, what we represent, and actually what we do. Uh, and uh, the more people find out and sit with Joe Jorgensen and others, they will agree. So there you've got it. Again, we've had a really interesting time with a really, truly interesting guest. Godspeed to you, Joe. Go to www.joj.com. 
2020.com. Here, see more and see how you're going. And you will help us all rise together by employing these values and approaches like those of Joe Jorgensen and certainly Ed Clark and others. So listen again, tune us in next week as well. Or in the meantime, you can go back to our website on the Variety Channel at thevoiceamerica.com and call up any of our episodes on demand. There's certainly some interesting ones covering lots and lots of issues. In the meantime, I lend by saying, as I always do, this is Judge Jim Gray saying, life is good. Why do I say that? Because it is. See you next week. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my thoughts that help us control.